Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I talk to Tim and Tyne Daly, the real-life brother and sister now playing siblings on stage in Teresa Rebeck's off-Broadway play, Downstairs. Both Dailies will be familiar to listeners from the regular TV work, with Tim starring in TV shows like Wings and the current Madam Secretary, and Tyne appearing in series including Cagney and Lacey and the reboot of Murphy Brown. Both have done plenty of stage work as well, with Tyne winning a Tony for Gypsy in 1990 and starring in more recent Broadway shows like Rabbit Hole, Mothers and Sons, and It Should Have Been You. But this is the first time the two of them have acted on stage together, and in fact, have acted opposite each other in any significant way. And on stage at the Cherry Lane is about the only time you're going to be able to see these two together these days because they're both starring in the play, eight performances a week, while at the same time juggling busy TV schedules during the day. Hi, Tim. Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. So the idea was to try and get you and Tyne together in the same room so you could record this podcast together, but it turns out that that's basically impossible at the moment because not only are you doing this play every night, but you're both working pretty significant roles in TV shows, you and uh, Madam Secretary and Tyne in the Murphy Brown reboot. So that sort of leads to my question of when actors who film TV shows in New York, which a lot of them do, they... Mm -hmm. they they, you know, they go to their day job uh, on the set, and then they do a show at night. And those are both, both TV and stage are extremely time-consuming things, especially when you're rehearsing for a play. So, how do you even make that work as an actor? Uh, well, the first thing you do is you have to beg everyone to work with you. Yeah, do you so have to you, cajole your Madam Secretary? You have colleagues? to beg. You have to beg the people at Madam Secretary to work work around your schedule, and then you have to beg the people at the play to have a non traditional rehearsal schedule. Right. And you just and what does that sort of mean exactly? Sort of it means that, it means that it's not it's, it's not, not all a day. standard thing. It's yeah. like sometimes you can work from ten in the morning till six in the evening, and sometimes you work from six in the evening till eleven at night. Right. And uh, and your days off are different, and it just it's just an ongoing adventure of trying to get everybody in the room at the same time. And how willing are people to go along with that? Did you, for instance, at your TV show, are they were they? You know, well, I think I have some, I have some goodwill over there. Okay, go. Um, <laughs> I've been on I've been on best behavior, so. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think, know. I hear you broke both of your legs, so I don't well, know. I, well, there's that. Uh, but I, but I didn't do do that at them. That's true. I, I, I think wasn't, that's right. I wasn't yelling at anyone over there. <laughs> I, well, I was breaking them. Uh, you know, I th I think it's um, uh, they they recognize that there's sort of a, a unique and maybe even historical. Uh, uh, moment at hand here because Tom and I have never been in the theater on stage together before. Right. Uh, we did this play before at the Dorset Theater Festival, but uh, and that was actually one of my questions. Did was part of the reason this was possible is that you had done this before and it was a little less of a lift for you to revisit it while you were shooting your TV show, or well, uh, you know, or was that not part of it? I, I, I that's a good question because I went into this thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. We did this before. This is Cinchy. We'll just go here. The line. It was a couple years ago. Like yeah, that. it was a year and a half ago. Year and a half. Yeah. 
and um, the lines did not just come right back. It was a, it was kind of an adventure. We did though understand the relationship of the people in the play, and and there wasn't a lot of that sort of uh, initial work of digging the mine of the people's psyches to try to figure out who they were. We we had had that idea in hand. Uh, that said, we we had enough time to I think. Um, deepen our performances and deepen our understanding of our characters and of the play, which is great. Um, but uh, I forget the, the initial question was something about scheduling. Yeah, and something about scheduling. Basically, the, the basic answer is it's a shit show. You do what you can. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you try to pretend you're not tired, you know, and, right. and then you do, and you get out there and give her, give her everything you got. Right. And tell the listeners a little bit about sort of how this play came about. You first worked with Teresa up at the Dorset Theater Festival, which is in Vermont, yes? Yes. Uh, uh, Teresa has a, a house in Dorset, and I have a house about 20 minutes away, and um, uh, a woman uh, named Dina Janis, who's the artistic director there, asked me to do a play, and I wanted to do something, and I read um, the scene that Teresa wrote, and I did it and loved it, and uh, Teresa and I kind of loved each other, and she said, um, what "Was Teresa involved in that production? Was she, or did she, she just see it? She was around. She, she, yeah, she was yeah. around, um, and she was around enough to answer questions. And um, I'm not sure how much tweaking she did, maybe a little bit. Um, and she said, "What are we going to do next?" And I said, "I don't know. Why don't you write a play for me and my sister?" And she said, "Don't." say that unless you mean it. And I said, I mean it, thinking there is no freaking way she's going to write a play for me and my sister. And about a year later, she presented me with a stack of pages that didn't even have a title on it. And she said, here it is. It's called Downstairs. I was like, no way. You wrote it. <laughs> and did she, at the time that you guys were talking, did you did she pepper you with questions about your relationship with your sister? Or did she, like, how much how much digging did she do about you and your relationship with Ty and as she thought about characters that you would play? If she did digging, it was uh, so brilliantly disguised that I was unaware of it. I mean, we were close. We're friends, and she knows something about my past, and I've told her stories about, you know, growing up, and she's told me some stories about her, so uh, we know something about each other, and I think she uh, put that stuff in her subconscious and then let it come out, and some of it made it into the play, and some of it didn't. And what do you feel like, what does she get right about your relationship as you with your sister as, as you were reading it? What surprised you about what she sort of nailed? Well, I think she gets, um, she understands love. You know, she understands love and she understands uh, the will of siblings to protect and help and save each other. I also think she understands that people in the same family can have completely and utterly different memories of the exact same events and and sort of uh, feelings about what it was like to grow up in a certain place. Um, you know, and, and I've found that, uh, you know, I have three older sisters and I, I know, and I say this without uh, pride and with a little bit of, uh, not shame, but concern about myself, I have actually inserted myself into stories that I've heard so many times, and I remember them vividly. I remember every single detail. I would pass a lie detector test if someone asked me if that story was true, and my sisters had to sit me down and say, Timmy, you were not born when this happened. <laughs> There's no way you could remember it. And, uh, and I would swear it's true. So uh, she gets that right. And so, and you, you mentioned that you had not worked with Tyne on stage before, but mm -hmm. you'd worked with her on screen previously. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, she did a little thing on Wings right. back in the day, and I did a little thing on Judging Amy, and she played right. a part in a movie that I produced sort of as a favor, um, but no, so you'd nothing worked together, but not yes, a lot. Right? Yes, but nothing right, significant. Right, yeah. 
And, you know, I'll tell you, I went into Downstairs thinking that it would be sort of a light, frothy sibling comedy. And it's funny, but it goes dark. Were you surprised by what I was surprised, I think, because I was expecting a light, frothy sibling comedy. Uh Were you surprised when you read it about sort of what it tackles and how dark it goes? Um, No, not not really. I I, I wasn't surprised, but I was actually delighted because I thought not not by the darkness for the sake of being dark, but by... um, the the territory that it explored and the interesting thing about the play is that it's a lot more resonant now than it was when we did it a year and a half ago. Um, Why? Tell us more. Well, I, one of the one of the the themes of the play is sort of identifying and living with and dealing with demons, and um, for a lot of us in American society right now, we feel like we're living with a demon. Uh, I won't name any names, but... Uh, we'll leave it up to the listeners. And, and, and <laughs> having, having lived with a demon for a couple of years, uh, we understand it better, and we, we feel the, the stress and the fear and the terror of that more. So uh, I think that our audiences are, are understanding it and identifying with it more strongly. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, this is the first sort of extended period of really working with Tyne, uh, particularly on stage. What what surprised you about how she works as an actor? Did anything surprise you in terms of how she works, and what does she do differently than from what you do as an actor? Well, um, I think that uh, I, I, I'll say this: I, when you talk to Tyne, she might refute it. And yeah. she, <laughs> but um, I think that Tyne. Uh, this is what I learned from Tyne. I, uh, what, I, what I've learned from Tyne is, uh, and I, I share this, but but um, it, it re- was reflected back to me significantly by her, is her desire to never quit on the work. Opening night happens, and you keep digging. You keep looking for things. You keep trying to refine it and, and make it better and uh, make the experience for the audience better. Uh, and um, I think I have that, but but Tyne certainly is a fantastic example of that. I think um, I've also helped Tyne a lot because I somehow managed to get um, a lot of joy out of this work. And Tyne beats herself up a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I take her in hand and I say, hey, it's me. Come on, let's have some fun. No one's getting hurt. And... Um, and I think it's I think that's good for her, and I think she actually appreciates it uh, because um, it's a weird thing to do being an actor. It's not really it's it's not really a healthy pursuit uh, to to be a, a, as a profession to say I want to do something where I go and have people tell me I'm wrong, I'm not enough, and you describe me physically, my physical attributes, my voice, my hair, my eyes, everything about me is wrong. And then if you get lucky enough to do it, you get to be described all over again as the wrong thing. You weren't good enough. You were too this or too that. It's just an odd thing to do, and it takes uh, an incredible amount of stubbornness or stupidity or uh, or or ego or all a combination of those things to persist in this profession um and uh so trying to find a healthy way to do it has been a goal of mine i I don't believe that you have to be uh an irresponsible solipsistic disaster of a human being to be a real artist. I, I, I think that uh, a, a lot of times we love watching our artists self-destruct, but you don't have to do that. Right. Is there something in the genetic code of the Daly family that 
bred actors? Do you feel like how did you how did you how did you end up with two actors? I mean, like a congenital disease, exactly, just yes. like that. I, yeah. I, I, yes, passed um, on from generation to generation. I, I, I think I think there must be. I, I really don't know. I mean, Tanya and I came to it in very different ways. She, when she was eight years old, knew that this was it. She thought it was glamorous and amazing, and and. Uh, but that was her she's 10 years older so her experience of my parents being in the business was different than mine um uh, tell uh, the listeners what your what your parents did just so they know they were both actors both actors uh, yeah. yeah my dad exactly. was a, a successful theater actor and did a lot of television live television especially and and uh, some network television that he was well known for right. um and my mom quit after having four kids but she was always a student and and a hypercritic of uh, the theater and um, people's work and, the, you know, being an actor with a capital A. Uh, so for all of us, the, the one thing that we do share is that if you were going to be in the theater in my family, you were not to do it blithely. There was no fucking around. That was the holy place, the temple of you know, artistic pursuit. So if you went in there, you better give it everything you had and you better be good and you better uh, be um, uh, reverent about it because uh, it was considered uh, literally like a holy place. Um, But anyway, time came came about it thinking that it was glamorous and I just thought that actors, because they were walking around my house all the time, were just drunken grown-ups who would not feed me. (laughs) <laughs> Basically, you know, when I was eight years old, it was like, it's 1030. I, someone give me fucking dinner. I'm starving. Um, because they were drunk and telling stories and smoking and, and being grand. But I did have a, an overactive imagination. And, uh, and I played really hard at things. So when I decided, I knew I could do it. I found out that I could do it in high school. Um, that I had an aptitude for it, but I wasn't at all sure that I had the personality for it. I wasn't sure that I could stand up and be punched in the face a thousand times before someone said, okay, I'm not going to punch you in the face. Right. Uh, and it turns out <laughs> I did. <Yeah. laughs> so maybe that's the genetic part. And so what is it that, uh, what is it about theater in particular that you feel the even desire to sort of carve out the time for in, you know, for instance, in the middle of your busy production schedule for the TV show? So, uh, on Sunday night, we had a show on Sunday night, and I was in a car driving home with a the, this guy who was an, a, an actor who drives to support himself. And he said, what's the difference between TV or movies and theater? And I looked at the clock, and it was 1030, and I said, I'll tell you what it is. Right now, there are someplace somewhere between six and nine million people, hopefully nine, watching me on television. And I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're in their underwear. I don't know if they're eating food. I don't know if they're asleep and the TV is just on. I don't know what part of the country they're in. I don't know what what they're doing. But I just did a play for 175 people, and I know exactly the experience they had. I know what they felt. I know what they laughed at. I know when they got suspense, when they felt the suspense, and when they got excited. And I know that they clapped at the end. So that's why I carve out the difference because I like being in the same room as the audience and sharing an experience 
that isn't mitigated by anyone else, by advertisements or by editing or no one tells the eye where to go in the theater. It's up to the audience and to the actors. So it seems like uh, that's the thing you're going to keep on doing in the theater while you're... Oh, God, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, part of the idea is you do television also to stack up your chips so you can right. afford to do... Right theater which is um you know a kind of a sad thing because it's not not a place to make a living really uh, do you, are there any stage roles that you would like to first see your sister in and are there any stage roles that you would like to play oh gosh what would i like to see my sister do i mean that's a good one i'd have to think about that um because uh she could do anything i would like to do long day's journey and tonight with my son sam Wow. Um, I think that would be a really interesting exercise. It would be really intense. But um, he is such a talented and good actor and such a great man. Uh, I think that it would be it would be interesting therapy for both of us and um, I actually saw the play for the first time in London a few years ago with uh, Laurie Metcalf oh and, yeah 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 and I, I thought David Suchet maybe yes, is that right David yeah. Suchet yeah and I thought this is a play it's the first time I ever thought this is a play I need to do I'd mm. read it a couple of times and thought oh my god Jesus Christ <laughs> but, but now I think I want to do it alright well we look forward to that happening when it happens <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Thanks for coming in. Nice Thank to talk so to you. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Hi, Tyne. Nice to Hello. see you. Thank you. Nice um, to be here. So Downstairs was written for you and for Tim. What did you think when you first read it? I uh, was in love with it pretty quickly. I like Miss uh, Teresa's work a lot. Mm. And um, there was an opening. <laughs> there was an opening thing that just made me howl with laughter. Um, what was and, it? Uh, the, um, the opening monologue of, uh, of uh, Teddy's. Yeah. And... Um, I actually sort of lost my composure, which was fun. Um, and and uh, yeah, and I thought, you know, I was first mostly just very surprised that she'd actually gone ahead and done it. You know, I haven't, yeah. there's not very often that I've had Mr. Mr. McNally made a play for me, which was wonderful to yeah. do. Yeah, it doesn't and, happen that often but, for yeah, most people. But No, it's, it feels real, very privileged. Right, yeah. And what in the character did you find was very easy for you to find? Well, uh the, re- the reason I was attracted to her was because she was uh, sort of against type, as they say, which is a disgusting phrase, but um, she's sort of meek. And I have been accused of playing strong women all the time. I'm kind of tired of strong women. Um, but um, I, I know that gives offense, and I don't mean to give offense about the real world. It's just um, I don't want to get stuck in that. And I managed to get away from that thing with uh, with the musical, with... Yeah. Uh, um, what do you call it? Should have been you, right. which was fun to try. It was another new play, but it wasn't made exactly for me. Right. But uh, but they were uh, not, they were properly grateful when I came on board, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun with that. So it, it seemed to me it seemed to be some some different fields to plow. Right. And was there was there anything in the character that you found more challenging to really? Well, the word she's she's one of those wordsmiths. She's one of those real Teresa, writers. The yeah, Teresa, yeah. yes, absolutely. And and uh, so you you best learn those notes for real and not <laughs> try to approximate right. and not try to guess at them. It's it is um, what Maria Callas called the straitjacket in terms of a score. And ah, yes. certain writers, uh, really good ones for the theater, write scores. Or to me, the words become a, a part of a of a musical experience. Yeah. And what do you feel like the play captures about the relationship between siblings that felt really accurate to you? 
Well, f- the first of all thing is that everybody grows up in a different household. Everybody's experience of their parents. Everybody's got different parents. Tim said something Maybe. very similar, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially siblings, perhaps. Yeah. And so that is something that, that we'd noticed. We, the Daily Kids, had noticed um, in terms of having a chance to sit down and talk. We, we, my sister Peggy and myself and my sister Glynis and Tim all went and interviewed and talked to my dad's older sister once and came back. And had a long, long talks about what different families we'd all come from, <laughs> what different parents we have, what different aunts and uncles, what different grandparents we'd have right. from yeah. each other. And so this is the first time that you and Tim have acted opposite each other in like a really significant capacity, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so what surprised you about how he works as an actor? Um, surprised me. He's very diligent, you know, uh, we lived together up in in Dorset at his farm, kind of on his farm, for the well, first time too. We were kind of roommates when we were when you were doing the this play, play yeah, yeah. Uh, but fourteen months ago, fifteen months ago now, and so that was an interesting thing uh, that had not happened in our grown up lives or our growing up. And uh, uh, I think we were good roommates. Um, <laughs> Um, but we bashed, we bashed the words together. We had a similar work, work ethic about the words, um, and got to talk about stuff, um, pick each other's brains a little bit, like you do when you're working with someone. Tim says he thinks working with you got him, got you to sort of loosen up a little and maybe enjoy the process a little more than... I don't uh... enjoy acting. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm too old to lie about it anymore. I've, I, you're supposed to have fun. Yeah. Are you having fun? Is like everybody, you know. Right. Uh, and I experience it as work. <laughs> right. And the, lo- the longer I do it, and the more I know about it, and the more I've done it, the worse I get at it. So the harder it is to get to some kind of standard of accomplishment. And I'm, I'm, I, you know, I feel like an old codger now, but I'm not. Um, I. <laughs> uh, many people experience this as a fun time. Yeah. Right. God bless him. <laughs> and yet you keep doing it, clearly. I mean, I do. Well, I like making a living. Yeah. And and that's always been nice. And I like supporting uh, the people that I love. Uh, so that's that's a, kind of a, one of the finer reasons for being a professional anything. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. People keep asking me to do it. And I keep finding out that there are different stories to tell. I do like storytelling. Mm. But getting to the place where I'm good enough and... Mm, uh, practiced enough to tell that story well it gets harder and bloody harder right. yeah. do yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> kids <laughs> you should have seen me in my prime as well. yeah. no, i keep telling Tim we should have done this play 20 years ago uh, but it yeah. didn't exist and nor did we in our present uh <laughs> Did, did the fact of State. your relationship uh, your and your sibling relationship, did it make doing this play easier, do you think? Or, I have no idea. Or, I've never yeah. done an, another sibling yeah. play with another sibling of yeah, mine. Right. How am I supposed to? I'm nothing to compare it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a he's a fun colleague, and so is so is John. They right. keep it like John, this is John, John Fogacino. Yeah, we're a good trio. I think we balance well, and they've learned to just, you know, uh, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to do my all my you know breathing and nonsense and warms up my 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 ritual. Timmy's got his rituals too, and so does John. But they're those are based on um, 
being social and and funny and dear and uh, kind to the apprentices and all that stuff. I'm, I can't be bothered. Not yours. Oh, are you? And do you, so, do you need a lot of time to I don't know breathe and meditate? More than most. What is the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't bring a phalanx of of uh, uh, people to you know talk me into it. Right. But um, I do have to talk myself into it. It yeah. takes longer and longer. See, you're supposed to talk yourself into it. You're not supposed to talk yourself out of it. Right. right. That's one of the key, that's one of the key tricks. Right. Right. Is, does that get harder also? Or yeah, yeah, sure. Gets harder to talk yourself out of bed, sweetheart. You know, you're just a baby. You have no idea. What What else can I do? What, and so the Cherry Lane is a small theater compared mm-hmm. to some of the Broadway houses you've been playing. I've been in smaller. particular. Yeah. Well, exactly. Do you enjoy this very intimate? Um, I do for this play, yeah. absolutely, and other plays. I think when we talked about coming into New York, which Jim and I and Teresa and everybody wanted to do, but they talked about Broadway and about houses and stuff. And I said, no matter whether it's a, a dinkier one, whether it's a John Golden or the smaller old houses, this is play is not this is play is the size for us Broadway. Right. And then when they said the Cherry Lane, I got very nostalgic about having started here a long time ago, and so I thought this is just right. And I think it is the right play for the right the right house for the right play. And I think that's an important choice to make because not everything, everybody, the first thing they say to you if they come to see you in a new place, are you going to move it? When is it going to move? You guys planning to move it? You know, and some of them should move and some of them shouldn't. And um, I'm very happy for for this play here. Yeah. Yeah. You're... Your parents were actors. What did you think acting was as a kid and what did you discover it was then growing up and I thought acting was the holy of holies as a Mm. kid and I thought it was the temple where truth and bravery and beauty and uh, (laughs) glorious um, words lived (laughs) do you still think that yes okay (laughs) did your parents give you any advice about show business that really worked for you (laughs) yeah no repeatedly don't do it right but you ignore them no, I listen to them sometimes. I yeah. often think they were right, absolutely right. I shouldn't have been, I should have wasted my life. What would you have done instead? Um, I would have been a translator at the UN. Oh, cool. Or something that had to do with languages, people understanding. It's the same thing as, I mean, trying to get people to understand what you're talking about, mm-hmm. basically. But yeah. I would love to have had uh, multiple languages. I'm just too lazy. <laughs> what? I pretended, though, very, well, I pretended right. to speak uh, uh, French and Italian. Of course. That's the, that's the <laughs> job, right? Yeah. <laughs> How have you seen the entertainment industry shift over the years? Not much at all. Uh, mm. the, what the traffic will allow, there's always a great deal more stupid stuff than there is good stuff. Right. There's a little layer of good stuff, and there's a tiny layer of excellent stuff. And that's what we can expect. I think maybe we're hearing more voices. You know, uh, um, It's less um, restricted in many ways than it has, which is good. Um but I think if I'd lived 100 years ago, I would also have thought that the theater was getting less restrictive. Right. And if I'd lived 100 years before that, I would have thought it was the same thing. Um, yeah. I love the way that, that, that human beings try to tell each other stories. Yeah. I really do. What felt uh, right about re- returning to Murphy Brown? Not a return for you, but Murphy Brown returning in this moment. And well, they, uh, you know, those are very smart women, and they and they uh, were ten years on television with a lot of, of of influence and glory. And I was feeling very desperate about you know the condition of our world and all that stuff. And uh, wiser people and I have said, you know, this is what we do. We're actors. What we do is acting. That's that's how we know how to 
say anything. That's our pulpit and our, you know, scrub on the stairs and our work. And so it, they, they asked me, and I thought, well, that might be an interesting room to be in with those those women. Um, and was it? I know you just yeah, finished your Yeah, it was. For, it was yeah. well, a whole different kind of work that I don't know nothing about. Although I did do one episode of Tim Daly's. Yeah, I was going to say, what part camera. the sort of sitcom, you know, The part where there's an audience and, yeah. and machines. There's yeah, an audio a- live people, and then in between the live people and the other live people right. is a phalanx of machines of people. All pe- another bunch of people right. who are all doing their work. recording, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's and it's a really kind of a bastard form. And I didn't, but they were very handy at it. It was fun to watch them do it because they they'd um, managed to figure out how to do an under rehearsed opening night once a week. And I thought it was terrifying, <laughs> absolutely terrifying, even more terrifying than than regular film television series because you have the privacy of just screwing up in front of the entire crew. You don't screw up in front of the entire crew and a paying audience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. <laughs> You've done theater throughout your career as busy as you, as you are on screen. And uh, what's kept you coming back to the stage? Well, I don't, I think it's, I, um, I think the work that I've done on film has, has afforded me to be able to be on the stage, which is, yeah, it's kind of first for actors. It is. There's all these arguments about, you know, what's where does the real work go on? Oh, the work is all the same. You just parse out your energy in different ways. Mm. So, and it's also there's when you're on film, you're on frozen time, and when you're in this room with me, when you're in live time, right. and it's simple and deep and profound as far as I'm concerned. Difference, yeah, not that one's better than the other, one can last forever and they can look at it. You know, uh, 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 there's, there's a real value in that, yeah, uh, but um, it, you know, come some kind of uh, cellular immortality. Yeah. <laughs> Celluloid, I mean. What have been your favorite stage roles? All of them. Yeah. I've I've been in love with all of them when I was doing them. Do you know? Uh, when I was at the Hooksit Theater, uh, the China Dragon Theater in Hooksit, New Hampshire, playing the second shopper from the left in, uh, in uh, uh, She Loves Me. It was my favorite, favorite role. <laughs> how was it? When was that? How... how <laughs> That was when I was, was cheating. That was when I was working in between years of school when you weren't supposed to do that. Oh, oh Had I gotten okay. caught, I would have been thrown out. But oh, really? Yeah. Before this, uh, or maybe after this experience at the Cherry Lane, I'm not sure. The first time around, the, yeah, the, the when you were cheering yeah, before. What was right. that show? That show was a, a comedy from 1925 called The Butter and Egg Man by oh. George S. Kaufman, the only mm-hmm. play he ever wrote by himself without a partner. Yeah, and Bert Shevelov was the director. No, wow. Go, yeah. I hope you mean that. Wow. I, that I mean, a, that I, was a wow. I, I, that's uh, a name I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the girl that they had playing the ingenue was um, wooed back to Los, to Los Angeles because she had a contract with Warner Brothers or something, and they had to start a movie. And I was working as a human stapler in the village, stapling together cosmetic samples. And the agent called and said, "Go to the Cherry Lane. They want you to read now." And I read, and I went upstairs. They made me wait. And then there were four other women I heard read. And then I came down. They said, you get to start now. And I called my husband of a couple of months and said, uh, bring me the right shoes. I don't have the right shoes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't step on the stage without the right shoes. Are there any stage roles that you've always wanted to play? Um, well, there's ones that passed me by, you know, that I thought about, but I never really could answer that question. I could see that's my favorite one. I have to do this. Um, the Shakespeare's kind of done except for a couple of those mad queens, you know, there's, uh, um, I'm, I think I felt I missed my chance at the, at the, um, 
Delacorte. Mm. Um, Although they asked a couple of times, it was all about timing. Yeah. The actors doesn't have too much choice, right, except right. to just either keep doing it or quit. One thing I asked Tim, and he was too surprised to have an answer, was what role would he like to see you in on stage? And do you have an answer for him? Ah, uh, I would like to see him do. Um, I never sang for my father, oh. and I'd like to see. I'd like to see him do a number of. Um, American playwright things. I don't know what he'd do with O'Neill. It'd be interesting. I think Timmer's in his prime, you see. It's different for men. So he's 62, and he's about to grow up. He's he suffered from handsome most of his career. <laughs> no, you just you go ahead and laugh, but you can suffer from lots of different things, yeah. including assumptions about anything. But I think Timmer's got a lot of chops. I saw him do um, the um, <laughs> K-Mutiny. Mm. And, oh yeah, and yeah. he was, was one of the 10, only a actors, more than ten years ago. Yeah, one of the only actors on the stage who could accomplish being from another era. Mm. Um, there's a lot of wonderful actors who can play their own time, in their own time, and their own experiences, and their own. American training tends to do that. You play a, a, a regular fella who's quite like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to see Tim play kings and princes and villains oh. and Richard the Third. I'd like to see him play. Cool. And before we go, what's next for you? Do you know that we're coming up Christmas. on the holidays? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Christmas and a break, and I don't know how long I have uh, uh, three sets of of daughters and families to visit. Um, right. I'm going to take some time through February, Good. and then I get to go to a big party in L.A. because of one of these movies I made. So you see. Oh yeah, which one? Uh, which... The Independent Spirit Award is for um, birth, um, the Bread Factory parts one and two. Oh yeah, that's which... not, I haven't gotten a chance to see that yet, well, but it sounds got... like a really interesting it, movie. Yeah, it was. A, people it really was quite, have responded. Quite to the it. other side of the pendulum from the Coen Brothers in yeah, terms. Yeah. <laughs> they have, the independent spirit awards you got to make your make your film for under two hundred thousand dollars right and right. good old patrick wang had 108 speaking roles and two <laughs> full musical movies that's the last musical i did although i don't oh, have yeah. a number so, i don't have a number i kind of glued the thing together right but uh any rate so there's there's uh the independent spirit awards yeah. and uh the uh screenplay is nominated i am nominated yeah. and i want to go to the party on the beach at malibu in february don't you absolutely <laughs> have a great time thanks <laughs> yeah. have good holidays yeah. It's nice Thank to talk you. To Thanks, Ty. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> that was Tyne Daly and Tim Daly, starring together off-Broadway in downtown at the Cherry Lane Theater. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. StageCraft will be taking a couple of weeks off for the holidays, but I'll be back in January with a new year of conversations with the people who make the shows happen on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.